0: Our country vowed to never forget 21 years ago, but those words require action. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has over 80 runs, walks, and climbs across America every year, plus dozens of more golf outings and barbecues you can be part of. There are so many ways that you can take action. Register for an event in your area or volunteer to start one. Do good and never forget by donating $11 a
1: month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, torg Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to, to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work, and man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone, so I can keep working all day long. So, if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to Anchor.fm/start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's Anchor.fm/start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It's DJ and Kelsey here today, and we are recapping a interesting, to say the least, productive week of sports uh, for this last week coming to you. And so, DJ, you, there's been tons of stuff happening this last weekend from UFC, two, UFC 258 to yesterday, Wednesday, and Thursday, pitchers and catchers reporting. Obviously, the Mets, they're going to be different, and they're reporting tomorrow uh, on Friday, which go figure That's the Mets, it's what they do. But it's been kind of a crazy productive week for for all sports all around.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of the Mets, you almost just completely buried the lead. Former Eisen Trophy winner Tim Tebow decided to retire today at 33 years old, no longer part of the Mets minor league squad. He's decided to hang up the cleats and the bat and the glove.
1: Yeah, I you know honestly, I don't know if I can call it bearing the lead. Uh, I don't I don't consider consider a minor league Mm. ball player who uh, who was gifted time in AAA and AA, uh, very worthy of a retirement mention. Uh, If honest, let's be honest, if his name wasn't Tim Tebow, he would have never gotten a shot to even compete at a double AAA level. Um, He has the skills of a single A player, uh, showed that through his career, and given a gift many baseball players had had been hoping and wishing. Upon them, I mean, there's a reason the guy had more strikeouts than I've ever had in my career and couldn't progress past Triple A. Uh, so yeah, it's it's embarrassing um, to see, say the least, that he he lasted this long in baseball. It goes to show you how hungry uh, the Mets minor league systems are for money. Um, because really, there was no reason to keep him as long as they did. If that player puts up, if any any other player in the in in minor league puts up the numbers that Tim Tebow put up, they would have never never lasted more than a season in the minor leagues. Uh, Teams would have cut him already.
0: Well, speaking of money, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. getting paid third biggest contract all time at 22 years old. 22 years old, I just wanted to be able to buy my chicken and not have to mortgage my future. Meanwhile, he can own just about everything short of the
1: Padres. Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously that 14-year, $340 million deal to go along with his MLB The Show cover boy status, for this season. Uh, I mean, look, the dude's having a fantastic time. Um, I, I think Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, when he was playing with the Cardinals, could have only wished and hoped for this type of level of uh, production in his career. And Jr. is just going out here and showing that he is 10 times better than his dad. Absolutely historic season last year for him. Uh, I mean, it was it was amazing to watch him. He was literally see ball, hit ball in, in all the best ways. And his defense is above uh, way above average and obviously the Padres sitting there around third as the most likely uh, betting odds to lift the world series trophy at the end of the year so obviously that's that's uh still doing pretty good for the Padres Uh, absolutely that's a
0: big signing there too that's a game changer that's like bringing a franchise quarterback if we're gonna go NFL or bringing in someone like Kawhi Leonard in basketball to up your odds And 14 years That is, there are literally dogs that are going to be born today when he signs that will not live as long as the contract will be. There are are humans that will be born today that will be teenagers. There are humans that have been alive for less than a year that will be driving before the end of his contract. That is insane.
1: I mean, 14 years ago, to give you an idea, I was 16. I was just getting a driver's permit in the state of Alabama. So, or just getting a driver's license in the state of Alabama. So, yeah, you know, obviously a lot can happen in 14 years. I mean, he's 22 now. He'll be 36 by the end of this contract. That's a that's a heck of a long time for in a baseball lifetime, especially playing for a team who, uh, well, let's just say they don't have the best historic record for uh, being good. So it'll be interesting to see Man, for sure. 14
0: years ago, I was popping my first zits and getting my first armpit hair. I can't even imagine now. Although if he is able to turn these Padres around even a slight bit, well, he's going to be worth every penny for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And speaking of being worth every penny, obviously UFC 258 happened this last weekend. Kamara Usman, for uh, many people, odds-on favorite um, to 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 go ahead and uh, take care of business in UFC 258. Obviously, he did. If anybody didn't watch the fight, uh, continuing his unbeaten streak, and obviously, many people have some have some very uh, very kind words for him. DJ, I'm gonna I, I want to get your opinion on this first before we go any further. A lot of people talking about him being a goat already in this division. What's your thoughts, man? I obviously you you I ha, I know you have strong opinions on this one, but I let's for for all the people listening out there, what's your what's your thoughts on this one?
0: As far as putting him as the welterweight goat, let's put this bad boy in reverse and slingshot it backwards and take it easy with that because that is a lot of hyperbole, prisoner of the moment. Kamar Usman is a damn good fighter and he's probably a top five welterweight all time right now. But as far as putting him in the George St. Pierre category, nah, fam, That's there's levels to this, and Kamaru's getting there, but he's not on that level. Very few – GSP is arguably the greatest fighter across weight divisions, so to, to put him in that category is a little extreme. Tyron Woodley, the guy he took the belt from, in his heyday, he was consi- – they were talking about him as taking the spot from GSP as the welterweight GOAT. Let's reel it back a little bit, but everybody seems to want to crown these guys a little bit too quickly. Mar man's fantastic. He has, I believe three title defenses now because he beat Colby Covington. He's beat Horry Maslow. Now he just beat Gilbert Burns with a third round TKO. He's 18 and one. Like you mentioned, he's on a 13 fight winning streak. It's tied for the second most all time. There's a, that's a damn good impressive feat, but it's not quite like Demetrius Johnson's 13 fight winning streak. That included 11 title defenses in a row. It's not like Anderson Silva who won 16 straight, including pretty much all title fights. And jumping weight classes for fun. Yeah. It's not like John Jones, who smoked a who's who's lift list at a time when the division was arguably at its best. It's not Max Holloway, who smoked an entire division before getting a title fight, gets a title fight and smokes it again when for his thirteen fight winning streak, and only loss was when he jumped up to the next weight class and fought Dustin Poirier for a vacant title, and then he goes right back down and they're like but we need to just take it easy a little bit. With this yeah. Kamaru Usman is really, really, really good. <laughs> I kind of compare him to like a super maxed out version of Phil Davis at welterweight as far as a world-class wrestler who's oddly really good at kicking, which a lot of wrestlers aren't necessarily great kickers, just the way they have, they use their legs, keep their base. Just usually you see boxer wrestlers, not wrestler kickboxers. It's a very, that's what makes John Jones so unique and guys like that. His jab was what we saw in full display. His ability to throw those long punches, like he basically knocked out, Gilbert with a right-handed jab switching stances he showed he has he has so many tools in the toolbox is how I describe him like when I looked at this fight Gilbert Burns had a hammer and he hit kamaro in the face with that hammer really early on and it looked like he's going to take him out but kamaro weathered the storm he showed why he is so good and why some people are being so dramatic and calling him the welterweight goat they get potential confused with reality a little bit too quickly it's like if Trying to think of a comparison, it's like Justin Herbert had a really good season this last year in the NFL. That's like me saying he's going to be the best quarterback in Chargers history. Yeah. There is absolutely no reason to jump to that kind of conclusion. Let's take it easy. We can just say, "Holy cow, this guy's the future." It looks like Kamar Usman, It looks like oh my god, he he's a problem. In his own words, "I'm a problem." He's a problem for everybody in that 170-ish pound weight area. Nobody will, that is a lot of smoke that a lot of people think they want, and then they get it. And it's like oh well, that that kind of sucked. Yeah. And that Gilbert Burns is a top five fighter in the UFC's welterweight division. He is really good. I know he's ranked number one. I consider a few guys better than him in my personal ranking that no one cares about. Kamaro showed why he is number one because after getting smacked upside the head in that first round, he reached in that toolbox, realized this hammer is not working. He'll break out a screwdriver, uses a screwdriver, it's working a little bit, puts that back, breaks out a socket wrench. He has such a deep toolbox with his versatile skill set. These guys. When we watched the fight, Kamaru adjusted in rounds two and three, started dropping Gilbert Burns and took him out pretty cu- pretty much after that first round. It was all Kamaru after that. Gilbert Burns had the hammer. The hammer didn't work, so he started swinging the hammer harder. He didn't have as many tools. He's a very traditional stand-up Muay Thai, like the basic striker. Really good, but not very diverse. What he does is throw power punches and power kicks, really. It's, yeah. not, it's the traditional one, two, three combos. One, two, one, two, one, two, three. It's not like one uppercut, left high kick, rear ball. It's not as it's not very diverse. Kamaru's ability to use that really long jab, switching stances to, so Gilbert doesn't have the same target. He has to change his punches. You can't the same punches you throw against an Orthodox fighter don't work the same against a southpaw.
1: No. So with
0: Kamaru doing that on the offense, it really hurts Gilbert Burns' ability to counter. And Camaro is a really good long kicker way to use his range. And when you get in close, Kamaru could tie up with anyone. He's one of the best wrestlers in this division we kind of knew this wasn't going to go to fight it was like an unverbalized agreement like look Gilbert you're an elite jujitsu jitsu fighter Kamaru you're an elite wrestler neither one of us want to deal with that I do not want Kamaru Usman standing out sitting on top of me and punching me and if I'm Kamaru Usman I do not want Gilbert Burns wrapping up any of my limbs or my neck and making me have to tap out like a b-word or possibly break something or go to sleep so at this point it was like all right we're gonna figure this out with our fists
1: yeah. and
0: Gilbert showed why he's really good, why he's top five, but Kamara showed why he is the champion and why he's basically beat
1: everyone in the top five. He's already beat them once. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you mentioned a couple things in there that I want to point out. You obviously talked about Kamara being focused on the jab and how Burns was a orthodox, you know, throw, you know, fighter, stand up fighter where he throws the combinations. And the one thing that you know we we kind of fall prisoner to the moment to is Usman was only throwing a jab. He was literally only throwing a jab out there. He left it out there many a times just by itself. There was very few times I could count him on one hand that I saw a combination from him. And it's one of those things, you know, people want to call him a goat, but the fact of the matter is he's not there yet, but he's not far away either. He has room to grow, and it's very obvious where his room to grow is. It's in the stand-up game. He has the power, but at the same time, there's no fluidity to his stand-up game. I mean, you mentioned the, the changing of stances, his focus on the jab. Yeah, he knocked him out with a... A southpaw jab, but at the same time, that's his power hand. So, it's, you know, it's like it makes sense, but it's and it just kept him on, kept Burns on his toes. And and let's be honest, we all like you, you mentioned it Burns, yes, is his top five fighter in, in this division right now, but they're former far, sparring partners. So, you obviously know where this one was kind of going to begin with. Um, when when Usman is like, I'll, I'll take it on, on myself and go to a camp that will help me focus more on my striking, he knew exactly what he needed to do to. To take advantage of Burns' weaknesses, really, and uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned standing up the whole time. I mean, literally, the few times I saw Burns go for a go for a takedown, it was literally like Usman was just like, "Are you, really? Like you're really trying this on me right now? Didn't we do this enough in sparring training? Like, what, what what's going on here, man? Don't 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 try this on me. Just just try again. Try again later on down the road when you get better, young kid. And it, it really felt like that kind of like young kid versus. Older, wiser fighter you know it's not even that way really but it's just that's how it felt watching these two fight like outside of that first five minute flurry from from Burns it felt like Usman had this well in hand and it was just a matter of time really until he finally just laid the hammer down as you to use your tool analogy and and just finally decided he would just lay it into him and uh, it's fun to watch I, I will say that but it is it's interesting to see from from my point of view, where I'm not like the biggest UFC fan, and you know I don't watch it all the time. It's interesting to see that even I can see where he's able to grow at, where his future growth will come, because of just how good he is on the mat. Nobody wants to take him down, so in the stand up, he's obviously like, "Well, I gotta get better because this is the only way people want to fight me." So <laughs> it's it's very and his interesting. For me to not see even
0: that. that bad either. It's just not. There's just some holes in it. When you're that good of a wrestler, I mean, yeah. he's gonna be just fine. I'm just. Everybody says he's a welterweight goat. Turn around, splash some water on <laughs> your face, take a nap, think it over. Don't just calm down a little bit. Let's take it easy. The, the desire to crown people so quickly is getting them way out of control. Obviously, bigger, faster, stronger athletes, all that jazz. Uh, but prisoner of the moment will get you ran over by a Mack truck, it feels like. And uh, it's a little exhausting. Kamaru Usman's going to keep rolling. He's got some
1: good fights coming up, in my opinion. And I think he'll, he'll make his case, but let's let's chill a bit. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned some of those good fights coming up. What do you think? He obviously has his own opinion, as he made very clear in the post-fight announcements, uh, who he wants to fight. He obviously wants to fight Jorge Masvidal and and shut him up once and for all. And uh, as um, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about it, uh, it put him in a coffin. So he quite literally wants to, to shut him up because he feels slighted somehow by Masvidal because Masvidal does what Masvidal does, and he talks a little bit too much outside of the ring um, chirps a lot and, and got under Usman's skin about it. And uh, so do you think that's the fight to go with, or do you think there's somebody else here in the top five that might be the, the go-to fight for him?
0: I would be cool. I'd be cool with seeing that one. I mean, obviously the first fight, Masvidal short notice Kamaru there, there's a report that comes out just now for some reason recently that he had a broken nose in the first fight beforehand. So they're both compromised quote unquote in, in a way Masvidal immediately after the fight's like, good on him I want to fight him again with the full camp because six days 20 pounds traveling across the country getting COVID tested like four times in a four hours period in like two day period that's like that's a lot going on and then a short notice against a guy like Kamaru Usman when you basically know I have to kill this guy I have to kill him early or I have to land a huge shot basically you're a little more limited and if you're Kamaru you're fighting a dude who killed a guy in five seconds with a flying knee so you're like okay you're on short notice, you're a little more cautious too, especially if that broken nose was actually there. So they both feel like that was not their best performance. And Usman knows Masvidal is the biggest star in that division. He is easily the guy that people tune in more often to see. And Kamaru probably got his biggest paycheck that he's had so far. The first time he fought, Jorge, why not do that again, especially in a fight that you won 50-45 to 45 on the scorecards first time, and we're in zero real danger. So if I'm Kamaru, I'm like, yes, please, I'll, I'll take that again, especially if he thinks it's gonna be an easy payday. He thinks he's gonna absolutely maul Masvidal. Why not? Why not go for it? And if you're Masvidal, it's like, well, this is what you wanted. Why not? I mean, you're coming off a loss and you get to go right back in there again. Seems like it seems a good like seems like a good fit for both of them. But if I'm the matchmaker, I'm gonna go in a different direction because when I look at it, Colby Covington's coming off a win against Tyron Woodley. Him and Kamaru have their own beef and selling point. I think that's a good one. You give him that rematch. And I know Dana White doesn't care for Colby Covington because Colby's, well, Colby. And at the same time, Kamaru doesn't like him, and a lot of people don't like him. He was ahead on the scorecard zone that first one going to that fifth round before Kamaru stopped him. So it's a very interesting rematch. It's a fight of the year type of thing with the amount of output they both put out. They're such good wrestlers, they basically cancel that part of each other out, and it just turns into a bar fight, a really technical bar fight. And Colby did have him dinged up and hurt a few times, too, with different body kicks, different punches. That was an underratedly close fight when you go back and watch it again. So I would love to see that again, both of them coming off a win. And then that leads up Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards, who Leon Edwards has not fought since I was that 14-year-old kid we were talking about a few a few minutes ago. He's been in the top five the entire time because he is that good. He just he hasn't been able to get a fight. He's had a couple with his opponent not able to fight because of COVID recently. It's just he's had the worst luck since the start of 2020 as far as USC fighters getting a fight go. It just... Things are not working out. I mean, he was, lo- he was basically in lockdown in England for the longest time. It's been rough. And him and Masval do have a little bit of what we would like to call beef. I mean, he was served a three-piece in a soda against his will during- backstage dur- after the event in London when Jorge Masswell knocked out Darren Till and Leon Edwards got the – I think it was a win over Gunnar Nelson that day. I'm having a hard time remembering that one, but they're two elite fighters. Winner gets a title shot. A little bit of backstory there. And Leon Edwards is calling for. It. He's like, look, Jorge, this sells itself. Fight me. Jorge's like, I want Kamaru. Kamaru's like, I want Jorge. Colby's like, I want Kamaru. And it seems so. It's a weird little thing you could do with the four of those. I will take any single one of those matchups you want to put together. I will hand over my pen and sign them up. I will take Leon Edwards versus Kamaru, who's been part two. That's a good fight. And then that leaves Colby and Masvidal, former teammates. They hate each other now. There's is, this is a lot of fun with these four, and I will take any of them that you want. I will offer you a fruit basket to just make any of them happen. Unfortunately, that leaves Gilbert Burns as the other guy in the top five. He's kind of on the outside looking in. I think you could match him up with a lot of different guys in the top ten, give him a chance to bounce back. He can compete with these guys. I think out of the five guys we've talked about, I think in my personal humble ranking, I'd have him as about that fifth spot. I don't know if he's beating a Leon Edwards or a Colby or a Jorge, and we just saw he's not beating, he hasn't beat Camaro, so... He's right on that cusp, and I think another fighter, too, could get him right back in there. Gilbert, he'll be fine. He'll bounce back. He's still a really good fighter, but with those other four, you could put together just about any of those matchups, and I'll be cool with it. They want Camaro and Jorge to possibly coach the ultimate fighter. That's what Camaro's pitching. That could be fun to have those two stuck around each other, even though entertaining with words is not really Camaro's strong suit, to say the least. He's not the best guy on the mic or just when he talks. He's, And then Jorge's... Well, right, master all wheel. That not, not much. Money Fantastic team. Everyone, everyone knows who he is at this point, so I'm cool with any of those four. Any of those layouts I just had with, featuring those four. Sign me up, yesterday.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, you mentioned Burns, and uh, congratulations on him to get to this point. Anyways, um, you mentioned he's not really at that point of being in the top four, in your opinion. And I think in, in a lot of people, they're kind of like they they kind of just had to give this fight to him because of what he has done. To get to this I mean, you point, KO I feel like.
0: Damian Maya, the only the second guy to KO him, and you basically killed him. Yeah, and then you destroy Tyron Woodley before Col- like, Colby Covington basically ended his career as an elite fighter. But Gilbert Burns was the one who beat him following the Kamaru Usman deba- loss. So, what he did to Tyron Woodley was I, no one did that. To Tyron Woodley, besides Kamaru Usman, at the time he ran right through him. So, Gilbert Burns did earn this shot. I just with my eye test tells me is I think those other guys are better. Yeah. There's that's just my humble opinion. Like, well, just before the Gilbert Burns fans decided, you know, set me on fire, let's take it easy on that. I'm not insulting the guy. I'm simply saying the top of the welterweight division is absolutely insane. It's so insane that the guy I just said was power ranked at number five, nearly destroyed the champion and hit him upside the head with Thor's hammer. The fact yeah. that Kamaru Swin survived is a testament to him. That's yeah. all I'm getting now. So Gilbert Burns could beat any of these guys. I just think if this was a series like you do with NBA or MLB where you have a series,
1: more often than not, those other four would win the series. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I wasn't trying to slide him, murder by any means, but I'm with you. I think I do think he kind of just it was they, it was what they had to do at the time to get him his due justice. But unfortunately, I think he, you saw, it. yeah, he laid out everything on the line, hit him with Thor's hammer, and then Usman was like, "All right, let me brush this off and and step right back in." And then you know he did what he did, and I, I do think Burns, obviously, you know, obviously when he gets gets back into it, gets gets another win under his belt. I think it would be interesting to see that top five go at each other for the next year, maybe two years, um, before somebody else decides they want to join into the fun at the top of this division. Because this division looks, looks like probably the, one of the most fun divisions currently out there. However, not my opinion. I think there's one division out there that might be a little more fun, especially with the most recent news with John Jones being mentioned as the number one in the heavyweight division. Moving forward to this weekend, we have fight night featuring a heavyweight mashup in Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. What do you see? I know you're writing a blog about this, so that'll be out on Friday over at podcast.com slash blogs. Go check that out so you can get more details. And, and, and obviously who DJ is going to pick. But, DJ, what do you think going forward in, in that main event, what do you think is, is going to happen there with Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis? The way
0: I see this fight goes one of two ways. Derek Lewis absolutely destroys his soul in the first round or the fifth round with his giant, just meat cleaver hands for fists or Curtis Blades wrestle destroys him for 5 rounds maybe he taps him out later in the fight. I just I don't see any other way like I don't see Curtis Blades outlanding him on the feet I don't see Derek Lewis getting him on the ground and tapping him out. I I, I don't see it going 5 rounds without any wrestling involved like say Curtis Blades outstrikes for 5 rounds. Derek Lewis is clearly maybe not the best power punch but he's right up there in the heavyweight division. He he, could, he can kill a full-grown cow with one punch and Curtis Blades is probably the best chain wrestler in the heavyweight division now that Daniel Cormier is not there like he can shoot and just keep shooting keep finding ways to get it he's a very athletic big man and he does have the ability to finish people especially when he can get on top of them and land shots Derek Lewis is not one to just get killed on the ground though so that's what makes it a little interesting and as great powerful as Derek Lewis is His best power comes from when he's in a top position on the ground. When he's on top of someone and punching down, that is absolutely terrifying. It's like standing underneath a T Rex when you see Jurassic Park and they step in and the entire ground shakes. That's what a Derrick Lewis punches, it sounds like. When he hits people on the ground, their soul leaves their body. He knocks them down on the feet like, oh God, that was a big punch. It's on the ground. He absolutely, what he does like Travis Brown and Alexander Volkov, like that's terrifying. My goodness. Lexi Olenek, two shots on the ground, and he was not the same man. Like He changes people's lives and their facial integrity at that point. So if he can get on top of Curtis Blades, somehow like maybe knocks him down and then gets in a quick side control or a half guard, that might be a little bit interesting. But at the same time, Curtis Blades is such an elite wrestler. Even if he does get clipped, but he has his wits about him, I can see him rallying, maybe going for a reverse or getting into a clinch takedown position. If I had to pick, I would probably lean towards Curtis Blades. I think he just has more safe ways to win, and if, this is the type of fight like we saw with Derek Lewis and Daniel Cormier. It just doesn't bode too well for him. I mean, he obviously has the kiss of death in both hands, so anything can happen. Maybe those jumping kicks that Derek Lewis likes to throw every fight—maybe one of them lands. Maybe this is the one where it finally lands. And I, Curtis Blades, has two losses on his resume, both Francis and Ganu, both because Francis Ngannou is the hardest power puncher in the heavyweight division and arguably ever. So maybe Derek Lewis could take a page out of that book and land one of those shots. You never know. But I'm going to lean towards Curtis Blades on this one. But as we all know, you can't ever count Derek Lewis or when his ball is this hot, you can't count them out.
1: Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned what, that, that that gem of a comment after after one of his fights. Uh, obviously, he is, he is known for what he can do around a hot mic as well as what he can do with his fists. It's um, a cold I, mic
0: until he gets around it, then it gets real warm real quick.
1: Yeah, spitting straight fire out of his mouth. It's it's hilarious. It's it's must watch TV. Uh, but you did mention the DC fight. That's probably the most unathletic I've ever seen Derek Lewis look, because he was just being absolutely mauled by a much much better wrestler. And uh, I do think that was a learning experience for him. That just he obviously needs to improve there. And I hope hopefully hopefully he's done some work there to get to get to the, this. Looking forward to this fight. He is healthier, that- too, with knee surgeries
0: as well as the back at the time, too. So he is a lot healthier from what I understand now, too. So that might play a big difference. Maybe he's able to cont- fight off the takedowns and land some shots in the middle of those exchanges, which, guy, Derek Lewis, close, co- close quarters, can still land enough power to knock out a Velociraptor. So if he stops a takedown from Curtis Blades and gets in a close clinch position and lands a couple real tight uppercuts or maybe a shot over the top from the clinch, Maybe he starts throwing shoulders like Conor McGregor started making famous all of a sudden that people have been doing for years, but Conor made it cool. Maybe Derek Lewis has power in his shoulders
1: that could kill somebody, too. You never know with that guy. So what I'm hearing from DJ, guys, if you ever get sent back to a journey to the center of the earth where all the dinosaurs are, take Derek Lewis with you. You will survive Velociraptor attacks.
0: I'm just going to take LeBron with me. I'll survive <laughs> raptors then.
1: Touche. <laughs> Touche, man. That was a shot. Shout out at to at our friends from up north, Bleacher Connection. If you're listening to this, it's true. I'm not going to debate it about it. <laughs> at least you won't have to see until the finals now, so you're you're good. Exactly. Uh, but look at you know the other half of this 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 heavyweight picture, the championship, the title belt picture. It obviously, has Francis Ngannou and Stipe. The end of March, and it has now been announced that John Jones will fight the winner of that. For all intents and purposes, what's your thoughts on that? How do you think? That's going to work out at the end for this heavyweight division. Obviously, we'll talk about it more once it gets there, but that's that's kind of the big news right now. I mean, John Jones coming back and being dubbed your number one.
0: I'm curious to see how he does at heavyweight. Like, he vacated his light heavyweight title, which is actually on the line in a couple of weeks at the beginning of March, so we're going to talk a lot more about that closer, too, just letting everybody know. we not skipping that. But John <laughs> Jones at heavyweight, I'm just really curious to see how he carries the weight. Like, Chandler Jones and Arthur Jones, his two brothers, NFL players, Arthur was a big boy. He's like 320, if I'm not mistaken, when he played for the Colts and the Ravens, really stout defensive tackle. Chandler Jones, like 265 to 280 outside linebacker, DN, like the big athlete, not just necessarily the big guy. John Jones, in theory, you would think he has the frame to put on the weight and be like a solid strong 240 at heavyweight, like pure muscle bound, but he's never really had to do it. And he does have like, when you look at him, he has wide shoulders, really kind of thin forearms, but big biceps kind of chicken legs a little bit, especially around the calves, like really thin calves, but strong quads. Like He's proportioned perfectly for a fighter to where you can keep off weight, but at the same time be stronger than heck. I mean, he's a twig by heavyweight standards, but he still overpowers a lot of guys. And I'm wondering how that carries the heavyweight, because if you can keep that same kind of muscle proportion without getting f- basically fat and sluggish, I think that's a dangerous, dangerous man. Especially he could pack on a little power. Like a light heavyweight power wasn't always as strong suit like punching power. If maybe putting on the weight gives him some punching power. Oh Lord. And he still gets to keep the athleticism. Good luck everybody else. But at yeah. the same time, does putting on that weight take away some of the athletic, athleticism doesn't minimize some of the speed and then still doesn't give you the punching power. That could be a problem with guys. He can hit them four to five times before they can hit him, but he, does that natural heavyweight power, those larger fists, that sort of thing, does that end up hurting him if they can hit him? So that's what I'm curious to see. And of course, when it talks about hitting people, you can't miss Francis Ngannou, my lord. I talked about Derek Lewis killing Velociraptors. Francis Ngannou is killing the Spinosaurus with his left hand. His right hand is basically what caused San Andreas' fault when he tripped and hit the ground. So, for, And then, of course, he's rematching the <laughs> steep Miocic, who might be the best technical heavyweight fighter, I've seen it as far as boxing, the wrestling, the kicking, everything he does is so crisp, so smooth. He's a smaller heavyweight in like the 230, 240 range. Like he's not a huge guy. I'm interested to see how this fight goes. Second, second time against each other. First one, Stipe ran away with it, but for any time Francis fights, it's terrifying just because of what he can do. And Stipe is the best heavyweight of all time. So I'm really curious to see how it goes. Stipe has taken a lot of damage in those DC fights as well as that first Francis fight too, even though he ran away with it, getting hit by that man, even when it doesn't knock you down or knock you out, it still does damage. I mean, you can throw a hammer at a wall so many times, just because it doesn't break the wall down doesn't mean the wall is in good shape. So I'm curious to see how he has recovered from these fights. And at the same time, how good as Francis got, I mean, he's gone on a tear since that first fight, he's killing everybody, everything, anyone, Every, just anything that gets in his way does not walk away, including Curtis Blades, who we just mentioned, one of the guys that was on that list. He did lose to Derek Lewis in the worst fight I've ever seen because neither one threw a punch, so we have no idea what would happen if they both threw punches. And then John Jones against either one of those. Against Francis and Ngannou, it's edge of you see like, oh my god, can he survive? Because every Francis fight is that way. And if he can avoid Francis' big shot, he'll run away with it. Even if he doesn't have the power and he's slower, he's way too diverse. Francis is just a... He's very much like a Slightly older 30s, Mike Tyson, where he punches hard enough to kill you. Even if his technical skills aren't as sharp, they're good enough for how hard he hits. And then John Jones the Steep As a fight fan, that's kind of more of the dream match. Because while you won't be on the edge of your seat as much, there won't be as much anticipation. Angst and oh god, oh god, butthole puckering the entire time because you don't know what's gonna happen. The technical prowess between two large human beings in that one would be absolutely fantastic. I would I'm I love either one of those and then. The, it seems like Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis, the winner. That's going to be like the number two contender who will fight the winner, uh, who will fight the winner of the winner versus John Jones. So <laughs> we're setting things up for the long haul right now, and I'm pretty excited for all of that. Like I can't wait for all this. We're going to talk a lot more about all of these fights coming up when they get a little bit closer. But this week, Derek Lewis Curtis Blades should be a fun one. Pretty interesting undercard too, with a lot of young up and coming fighters too. It should be a good fight night.
1: Yeah, definitely, and it's it's a fun part about Fight Night. It's on ESPN, so we won't we won't probably hear a lot of uh, the Derek Lewis, um, hot mic moments, but we'll still get some quality some quality takes. Uh, you know, we always love what he has to say. But guys, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short short break. We're going to hear from our friends over at Fanatics and Fubo TV. So we'll be right back, guys. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Low Sports Podcast. You know, if you missed the brand new news. We have partnered with Fanatics.com. So if you're in the market for a brand new t-shirt, brand new hoodie, brand new jersey, no matter the team, no matter the player, no matter the sport, Fanatics.com is your place to stop. Not only does this help support our podcast, but it helps support the entire Onion Sports Network. Check the link in our bio or go to onionjessn.com. I'll be having a DJ in the High Low Sports Podcast. See ya. <laughs> What's up everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Love Sports Podcast and we recently partnered with FuboTV. What is FuboTV? FuboTV is a service to broadcast live TV over the internet, no cable required. Watch your favorite teams, network shows, news and movies on over 100 plus channels. Get channels like CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, you can watch all the games. So go ahead, click that link in our bio and get started on your 7 day free trial. And stay tuned to some more great programming right here on the Unhinged Sports Network. And welcome back and a special thank you out there to Fanatics and FuboTV who obviously have still been sponsoring our show as well as the network. Uh, We also want to spend a special shout out over there to Dr. Squatch Soap Company. If you guys don't know already, we are partnered with Dr. Squatch. Go buy the soap, guys. If you haven't already, it's cold pressed soap. So it helps keep you a little bit cleaner because it stays a brick longer. It doesn't just fall apart in your shower like all those nasty soap bars you buy at the store do. Um, So definitely check that out. Link is in our bio and the original craft beer company. If you guys have not already checked out that it's like Bark Box, but for adults, sends craft beer right to your home. I'd send you if you guys could see what we're doing right now. We obviously both have craft beer near us, so these are from Ohio, but it doesn't matter; it it still counts.
0: (laughs) And uh, nothing like that good Mid Atlantic beer to wash it down after a long hard day. Woo! All
1: right, still sending shots at the Cleveland folk. All right, (laughs) I love Cleveland. Who are we kidding? (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. Uh, But obviously, guys definitely check those out links in our bio and the other one being color cast which we'll get to a little bit later um we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show but guys there's another big story to talk about right now oh how the saga never ends and i do mean big he is a very large imposing human being and that is jj watt obviously being released from his contract by the texans because they were already planning on moving away from him there is zero other reason people who are saying otherwise just shut up you don't know sports
0: we're not um, even going to get into that. We're going to ignore the stupidity <laughs> and just move on with the education. Continue, sir.
1: Exactly. So reports are coming out that J.J. Watt is literally saying free agency is wild. He has never experienced anything like that since recruiting days back before he picked a college because he's getting so many phone calls. It's obviously going to be crazy if you're J.J. Watt. You are J.J. Watt. You have literally invented the pass-batted stat because that's what hmm. you did so good. That's That's what? You, yeah, you literally, yeah, the, the Watt Swat, if you will. Um, but <laughs> there are reports coming out that he is thinking about an AFC North team. DJ, what's your thoughts on this? An AFC North team is where he is th- thinking about going. I won't say which team yet. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that, but I just want you to go ahead and take this away. He, he's thinking about an AFC North team.
0: So when I look at JJ Watt, there are four teams. I'm going to call this the fo, fo, fo half hour because I got a lot of fours coming up during this, this part, and you're going to see why. Well, we're going to start with the four teams I think JJ Watt like that it's a good marriage, basically. One is that AFC North team you're thinking of, the Cleveland Browns. They really could use another pass rushing type of monster to go with Miles Garrett, and even in certain packages, line those two ne- up next to each other. My lord, plus if they can keep Olivier Vernon and he can get back to his, getting his groove. You could put together one hell of a NASCAR package. If anyone remembers the 2011 Giants with Justin Tuck, Matthias Kiwanuka, Jason Pierre Paul, basically four defensive ends. Pick your poison. Yeah. You could put together a heck of a squad with them to kind of mask some of Cleveland's secondary and linebacker issues they're still working on. Because we already know with Kevin Stefanski, DJ's favorite coach, by the way, that's out there. So if you don't believe me, check our preseason predictions. Yeah. But I think they're gonna be fine, and that'll give that that's a hell of a fit for them. Plus the ability to just bat the ball down. That will help your defense immensely in the back end. And JJ one and Miles Garrett lined up next to each other. Oh, no, that's Godzilla and King Kong instead of fighting each other, teaming up and going after you. No, no. Yeah. The other one is the one that a lot of people wanted, the Steelers, because he gets to play with his brothers. Him, Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, TJ Watt. Uh, not much more needs to spend, but basically the rich get richer. Bud Dupree's probably out of there by the sounds of it, He's hitting free agency. Brian and JJ Watt to just bring another. God, that just—that's that's an insane front seven just to think about it. Another one is staying in the division and going to a team like the Colts, who are looking for another team that's looking for a pass rusher, and I think they've inquired a little bit about signing him too because you put him, DeForest Buckner, together, all for, former multiple-time defense player of the year and J.J. Watt, DeForest Buckner, first-team All-Pro. You can put them in the middle in certain packages where both are really good at swatting down the ball, with DeForest being 6'7", and J.J. Watt just basically being to Kembe Matumbo of the NFL. So that gives you a lot of versatility there as well. And then the slightly unheralded one that I don't think a lot of people will like, but I think it's a really good fit still, would be him going to Seattle. Because I think Seattle, their pass rush is Jamal Adams. That is all I need to say at this point. I know. And then at the same time, him and Dunlap, Dunlap, another 6'7 guy, and J.J. Watt, professional to Kembe (laughs) Mutombo, that gives you another added element of good luck throwing over this. Yeah. And I don't know what sal- Seattle's salary caps, not great, but it's not bad. If I'm not mistaken, they don't have a first round pick. They don't have a lot much for picks, honestly, at all. They got to improve somehow because the Rams got better. The 49ers are getting better. The Cardinals are getting better. Seattle. I know they won the division, but they're kind of stuck in that stagnant zone. So they can bring in a JJ Watt. That's a, that's a good fit for them. I think so. Those are the faux teams that I think JJ Watt should consider with the Browns, of course, being what sounds like the front runner so far. JJ Watt just loves cold
1: places. Yeah, you know, hey, look, he's uh, what went to Wisconsin. <laughs> it must be felt, must have felt weird in Houston these last couple years, up until this nat- this nice little cold streak. If you're down in there in Texas, listen to this. We hope you do have power, obviously. So don't take take my joke with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, no, obviously he's thinking about going to Cleveland. One of the biggest, some of the biggest reasons, money and a potential Super Bowl. He actually wants to be paid the market value for the first time, and in his career, which is something crazy to think about. He's a three-time All-Defensive Player of the Year, and I would have figured by now he would have been paid market value, but evidently he feels he's been underpaid his whole career. So- well, he's wrong about that because he signed
0: a massive contract <laughs> after his first Defensive Player of the Year, if I'm not mistaken, one of his first two, and he said, my goal is to make sure that I am underpaid. He just happened to perform so damn well right after that. So he can take it easy with that. He has been paid a whole lot. Like, yeah. We can go back to, I think it was his 2013 or 14 extension. I can't remember the exact the year i'm a little rusty and it's been like nine years but he signed a huge deal and i remember him saying my goal is to make it look like i'm underpaid to which he went on to win defensive player of the year yeah You so and- could chill with that he's been played paid market value before it's just not free agency market value it's resigning with your team market value which is a slight difference
1: yeah he was projected to make 17.5 million so to your point obviously very well paid for a defensive 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 and defensive tackle whatever you want to classify him as um And the Browns, sitting with twenty one point seven million in cap space projected, uh, obviously have money to spare, and they were ready to pay a guy by the name of Jadavian Clowney that last season before the before before he ended up in with the Titans. So this could be something. Yeah, this could be something that is a very good fit for him in Cleveland. Uh, Obviously, Kevin Stefanski would be probably super excited about that, and it adds a little dynamic into the already competitive now especially competitive brown stillers matchups because on top of that the watt brothers will be going against each other for who's who can have the most amount of sacks of the other guy's quarterback um and talk about a competition that you would love to see two brothers competing against each other to hurt the other guy's quarterback, but not really hurt the other guy's quarterback but to put the other guy's quarterback on the ground um that that's interesting
0: because a- i think the watts are so damn competitive they don't want to play on the same team i guarantee Derek just looks at tj the whole time like god i hate you you're lucky i can't
1: block you yeah, I, guess,
0: it, I don't think KJ is going to want to join that team. I think he'd rather
1: play them twice a year, just for the competitive nature of them. Exactly, and you know, you did mention the Steelers as a possible landing point for me. They are long midway down the list as as far as where I see him going. Um, I'm with you on the Seattle front if they can free up cap space, because I could just imagine Carlos Dunlap and JJ Watt with Bobby and KJ right behind him, and you know, Jalen out there being like, all right, or sorry, not Jaylen, Jamal being like. All right, guys, um, I could pass rush, or I could go get my first pick as a Seahawk. Take your pick. Which one do I want well, to do? Well, you got to catch the ball to get your pick. I'll get more back. Quandre <laughs> Diggs gets the picks as the safety. Guy. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about a defense that needed help. They definitely need some They need some work there in Seattle. And uh, we, we've seen Russell Wilson has not been able to get them past that hump since he's been the focal point of that team, if you will. Um, when they're a defensive team, they can get to the Super Bowl and win. Uh, but since the legion of doom really it's been well a legion of boom i should say they <laughs> russell has gotten them there and thrown a pick in the end zone um and
0: i'll leave That's that where t- it t- is like if they're going to be an offense team on of russell they're not going to spend the money on offensive lines he might as well spend
1: it on defensive line i mean like yeah
0: it at least gets halfway there
1: yeah so those are obviously my first two front runners but i do like the idea you have of the colts um they do have tons of cap space Although there is a place down there in Jacksonville, which I don't think he'll go to because it'll take too long for them to get a title, but in division, you talk to yeah. I say it is in division with the Texans, so he could get a little bit of a little bit of a turn of the knife, if you will, um, if he goes to Jacksonville and and does well in Jacksonville, that could be an interesting one because they do have the cap space to take him on. And other than that, there's not really very many places I could see him going. I mean, honestly, there's (laughs) I think he's he's down to. The Steelers, Browns, somewhere within the division, or the Seahawks. I feel like those are his best options, really, um, going forward. But there is another name being floated out there who also just happens to start with a W. He's mm-hmm. still being floated out there. Um, teams like the Colts are interested in him, the Bears. Many teams, really, interested in this guy. And that's Carson Wentz. Where does he fall in this domino effect? Where's, where's the team that ends up actually giving the Eagles something that they are want to work with because right now it seems like everybody's kind of like eagles you're asking for too much considering the the matt stafford trade earlier in the season early in the offseason everybody's kind of like a little bit holding to their guns as far as not giving up too much right now so the eagles are trying to figure out where they fall in this marketplace for carson wentz and, and what do you think it ends up being so the,
0: the vegas odds have recently basically skyrocketed the colts is the favorite because they're offering like a second. They're the first one to stick to their guns. Like we're not giving you two first round picks Philly. Let's chill with that. We're going to give you like a two and something else. I think it was initially two twos and something else. And as the thing has played out, it sounds like it's been, it's even lower to like a two and a three or something along those lines. Like you're not getting a lot for Carson Wentz. He's coming off it. And his, he was benched. Your team benched him. So you can't ask for two first round picks for a guy you benched. That's I can't even think of a more ridiculous. That's like, Paying a hooker with a check. I can't honestly think of anything more ridiculous. I'm struggling to find it. Think of similes here. Paying the is the EBT you, card. Yeah, exactly. Like you, <laughs> you're just. It's just terrible that. So it sounds like Indy's still sticking around, but they're telling you we're not giving to what you want. Take it or leave it. We'll go elsewhere. So it seems like Indy's the front runner. The Bears obviously are still in there, but Carson Wentz has said he prefers Indy. So I think at this point it's just like, does Indy finally cave a little bit, or does Philly just? They because they're gonna have to pay him. I think it's March 17th is the date is when he has a signing or a, like a roster bonus due. So it's up to you, Philly. You keep him and pay him and basically rot him on the and make him compete with Jalen Hurts and see how that goes. Maybe he's unhappy. I don't know how that situation mends itself. Or you kind of give in and you take the second round ra- like a second round pick this year and like a future third or something, whatever the Colts are offering. And then you go with it that way. But if I'm the Colts, for example. This seems to have been a real thorn in their side, and from what I understand, from what I've seen, they're not happy about the Eagles leaking their trade offer. So we're bringing it to my second of the faux foe, faux foe, foes. I'm going to break out the four te- the four quarterbacks. I think the four options for the Colts this off season. Number one is obviously Carson Wentz right now, with him being kind of the eye that the guy they have their eye on. He's basically their two year stopgap guy. If they can fix him, great. You-, you have a potential MVP caliber quarterback. If you can't fix him, you bench him and bring in the rookie Jacob Eason. If he's somewhere in the middle, you're basically where you were with Phillip Rivers, arguably. So that seems to be their favorite. Number two, the guy that I think I'd be the most intrigued for them to go look at, Sam Darnold. If the Jets are really shopping him, then that's a 23-year-old kid who has basically been just assaulted for his first few years with plenty of room to grow, plenty of highlight plays. I mean, some of the plays highlights we see of him, if sam if Patty Mahomes did that, the entire internet would lose its ish and set on fire. Like we talked about last time, we talked about Sam, the touchdown he threw against the Colts where he just yeeted the whole defense, yeah. the touchdown run against the Broncos where he destroyed a human and then continued to scamper. He's very capable. And in a quarterback-friendly offense like this, second-round pick for Sam Darnold on that cheap contract and enough money to sign a J.J. Watt, like, I'm the Colts, I almost start to look away from Carson it's like, you guys are being difficult. Take this two and nothing else, or we're going to go look at him if he is on the market. I don't know if Sam's on the market. Number three, and this is one I'm not really sure about, but it seems like it's gained a lot of traction, trade up for Justin Fields somehow. A lo- There's been a lot of – we'll talk about Zach Wilson here in a little bit, possibly how he, him and Trevor Lawrence are considered the top two guys. But Justin Fields has been getting a lot of heat, too, especially with the Colts, I've noticed. As I keep track of the quarterback carousel, that's going to be absolutely insane for the next few months. Sounds like Justin Fields is a guy that they kind of have their eye on. Is They see him almost like Justin Herbert. Is a guy that in college you didn't see everything you liked, That's because they didn't ask him to do it, but that doesn't mean he's not capable. It was probably the fastest of these quarterbacks. When I watch him run, my goodness. He's got a heck of an arm, and with the Colts' offensive system, it's very quarterback-friendly, to say the least. Yeah. And then the fourth option for the Colts probably is just start Jacob Eason, honestly. Take your lumps and be like, look, we're Super Bowl ready now, but this is our guy. Let's see what he's got, and then go for it. I know there's thoughts of Ryan Fitzpatrick or Jameis Winston, but I don't think those are the moves. If Derek Carr is available – Every team that wants a quarterback should be like, Derek Carr, please, Derek Carr, please, Derek Carr. I think <laughs> yeah. he, would, he should be the guy they look at over Carson Wentz, but there's no word if he's even really available. There's Deshaun Watson, which, yeah, good luck getting enough trade capital for that one, guys. I'm not even like, we talked about that enough. Good luck, everybody else, basically. You're going to need five yeah. teams involved in that somehow.
1: Yeah, no, you, it's funny. You mentioned Carson, or uh, not sorry, Carson, but uh, you mentioned Deshaun, and there's talks now that the, the Panthers and Matt Rule are in conversation to somehow pull out a deal for um for Deshaun which is a very interesting landing place if you will uh because they do have the assets potentially to trade away although it's a question of whether you want to trade that away if you're rebuilding in the Panthers organization it's it's kind of a lateral move also if you're Deshaun that's, that's a very scary thought especially with that offensive line that could use some work it's like uh, well do you really want to go there i mean
0: you'll probably lose Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson and a, few, a lot of other like good luck i mean it'll be you and maybe CMC if you're lucky if you can keep him uh, good luck yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a tough one because what do they lose? Who do they keep? Um, to to, to keep so... DJ Moore and CMC maybe because that's a superb triplets even with a Swiss cheese offensive
1: line, but ugh, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's really it. Uh, but it's it's interesting you mentioned Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, is, obviously, we don't know where he'll end up at, whether he's going to stay in New York. Um, again, for all intents and purposes, the owner seems to be okay with keeping him. But, uh, you know, the fans – Everybody wants Sam Darnold gone. And it's just, uh, what, what are you going to be? And it is kind of a, a moment where you're just kind of like, okay, guys, it's a lot like Carson Wentz. Will he do better in a different environment? And obviously we've had this conversation, but we've never actually had this conversation on a mic. If you had to choose, you're between, you can, you, you can offer these same exact picks, same exact package for both players. If you can get Carson Wentz, former potential MVP, or... Sam Darnold, all for the same package. You don't have to give up anything more for one, anything less for the other. If you can get them for the exact same package, who do you pick between the two? If you're the Colts. If I'm the Colts, that is
0: tough because, you know, that's the hardest one to choose for because Frank Reich and that offense has been with Carson Wentz. They know him in and out. Like that's the best fit for Carson. You could possibly get the most out. Of him. If he has anything left, If that 2017 and 2019 seasons weren't outliers. Mostly 2017 is what I'm focusing on when he was with Frank. You kind of have to go get that guy because that Carson Wentz was special before that knee injury. His completion percentage was kind of low; wasn't that great, but the plays he was able to make, the escapes, the staying on schedule, the mobility, the arm strength—he was a different animal that year. I mean, that was those 12 games; he was fantastic, even with the lower completion percentage. But if we're talking like a sec, this year's second, and like next year's fourth, that could be a third. Just a hypothetical trade situation. I think you go for Sam Darnold, honestly, because he, he's such a cheap rookie deal. And you have the fifth year option. He's shown the ability to make plays. I mean, I think they were seven and nine two years ago. And that's with Adam Gase as your head coach. We'll emphasize that till I die. That he is an offensive problem. coordinator. Exactly. And you you had Robbie Anderson in and out of the lineup a little bit. No running game to speak of. Like they were a mess and they were still about I believe six and ten, seven and nine, whatever it was when they got before they got Mek back on. They had their moments, and if Sam Darnold doesn't get mono, they're probably even better. Yeah. So I still think I think Sam Darnold's a safer pick, and you have all that extra money. You can reload the roster. You could resign a JJ Watt. You could go sign a JJ Watt, resign all your pieces. And you could keep that first round pick. This is a deep tackle draft, and they need to replace left tackle. Look what Tristan Worst did last year with the Bucks. I mean, you can pick up a tackle in the teens to early 20s. If I'm the Colts, I really, if you can get Sam Darnold for the same price, I really consider it. And I think he's a little more mobile and less injury prone. He's had a few injuries from getting absolutely mauled by the Jets off from because of the Jets. My goodness, they, they don't like him for some reason.
1: Yeah.
0: And Carson Wentz has unfortunately been injured. Even when he had the elite offensive line, he had injury issues. Not his fault entirely, but it's just unfortunate. So I would lean towards Sam Darnold, but if you're the Colts, either one works. And the reason we're talking about Sam Darnold being even tradable is because there's some quarterbacks at the top of this draft where the Jets are picking Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. We saw the report. Some people think Zach Wilson's as good as Trevor Lawrence, which I think is blasphemous because they keep trying to compare him to Patrick Mahomes like they did with Jordan Love, and they always want to do with athletic quarterbacks with rocket arms, and I think it's stupid. It's Trevor Lawrence, then maybe Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, but let's not put them in the same category as prospects just yet.
1: Yeah, you know, obviously, I think if uh, if Jim hears us talking about the Jaguars taking anybody other than Trevor Lawrence, I'm sure i will get a message here in a second saying, "Hey, shut your mouth! They're taking Trevor Lawrence because that's the, that's a the smart pick, that's the that's the safe pick, that's the guy who is projected to be the next Peyton Manning. Granted, even if he doesn't turn out to be Peyton Manning, you know who he turns out to be? Something really good. It's okay. You'll He's be the fine. closest you have to can't miss. Yeah, he's, it'll be Andrew Luck for his quality seasons that Andrew Luck gave you. Okay. he gives
0: you that good Jaguars going to the playoffs next year, and the Texans,
1: the Colts, and the Titans better look out. Yeah, I mean, like, really, like, look, if you, if, you, if you think Trevor Lawrence, for some reason, is not as good as Zach Wilson, I have so many questions about your credibility as a football analyst. Because if we're talking running backs, okay, absolutely, yeah, Zach Wilson, much better running back than Trevor Lawrence. If we're talking about a, that, I, a I think Trevor Lawrence can run faster. Fair enough. Actually, fair enough. Um, I think Zach but, Wilson's the
0: second best quarterback, but like you said, there is a gap between one and two. Yeah. Not a huge gap, but the, putting them in the same, we're getting reckless now. Everyone that has a strong arm in his mobile is not Patrick Mahomes, like these scouts are saying. Well, he yeah. reminds us of Patty at Texas Tech all over again. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you want
1: him to be. Yeah, no, if you, if you want to talk about a quarterback in this draft that might be Patty, and you just because of his arm, Look at the Penn State quarterback who is sitting here dropping seventy-yard bombs on TikTok like it's nothing. He has the motion, the throwing motion of a Greek god. He literally snaps it back and it's gone seventy yards. And you're like, what? What is this? And this is a kid in Penn State who nobody talks about, and who, if you want to compare because of arm strength, that would be the guy to compare to Patty. But the fact is, he's not Patty because we all know he's not Patty because we've seen his body of work at Penn State. Zach Wilson didn't spring on the spring on the scene until last season. And he only sprung on the scene because of what he was able to do with his feet first. This season, we saw a lot more of the passing game. But that wasn't even that great. Let's be honest, he was <sighs> to say he's the number one quarterback. He's just he's put everything he can do currently on the table. He reminds me of Nick Marshall at Auburn. He, and and, and that's, that's a high quality quarterback, That's a quarterback that, 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 that led you to a national championship where you lose to Florida state, but that's a quarterback. When you get into the NFL is going to limit you until he's grows within his, his own mind. And th- that's purely down to reading a defense. I mean, really Zach Wilson, we haven't had to see him read a defense. Trevor Lawrence goes up there and he is the play caller at the line of scrimmage. He has given three plays and said, you get to choose because of what you see. And you see him making all the hand gestures. You see him making the calls at line, You see him pointing out a mic. You see him pointing out a coverage. Sometimes it doesn't work. He's still young. He's still growing into that role. But it's just like with Peyton Manning. We saw him grow into that role through three to five years in his career. And by the third year of his career, the dude's calling out blitzes that he's never seen before because he's seen it on film at some point in time. I mean, the, well, the dude...
0: second year, he went 13-3. and three, Like, yeah, yeah give him like, time. And I think, yeah, I agree with you. And Zach Wilson,
1: I think he's the second-best
0: quarterback. In yeah, nothing track.
1: against them. But like, calm down, scouts. This is the prisoner of the moment conversation all over again. And everybody wants to anoint the next. The next big thing. They want to find the next gem. They want to find the next Patty. They want to find the next Tom Brady. And the fact is, we're not going to get that anymore because we've seen these kids from day one of middle school highlight film until now. Let's be honest. We've seen these kids on highlight tapes. If you've watched QB1, You've seen Justin Fields on QB1 at Harrison High School in freaking Harrison, Georgia, and you know exactly what to expect from him. He's the same. It's kind of crazy
0: that he had a good season. He had that game of his life against Clemson, and somehow he's dropped from being the second-best quarterback. Like Coming into this, they were talking about him and Trevor Lawrence maybe taking the spot. Justin Fields in fewer games has done nothing to take away from his prospect, but yet he's now arguably – like the third or fourth quarterback,
1: it's kind of weird how that's worked, how the draft process for the NFL works. And this is rough for Justin Fields. I'll be honest. I think Justin Fields is a is the number two quarterback in my eyes because I'm a three, but I know what you're I know what you're saying. Like I, you're right. I do think he is the most polished for what you'd want in an NFL quarterback. I think he has the most potential, and as of right now, he's a little bit more polished than Zach Wilson will be, and he has that little bit of game manager in him where he's not afraid to just say okay, I'll check it down. You saw it all the time when he'd check it down to chase Trey Sermon and Trey Sermon would stomp off for 40 yards. Obviously, you're not going to get that in the NFL. But if you put him on the right team and he has a running back who can catch, he has no issue dumping it off to his running back and letting them run. And I you know, think that's
0: why the Colts are really interested in him too because that's a perfect fit and his mobility on top of that. Like, And he's got the gun. He can rip it. So yeah, I think and that's why
1: the Colts are really looking at him like Justin Herbert, basically. And again, his big thing is reading the line of scrimmage, reading the callouts, reading the the blitzes that will be coming at him. And I hate to say this, and this is something that always gets brought up, uh, is it because he's black? And this might actually be a potential situation where, because we've seen him run, it's like Dwayne Haskins. Everybody called Dwayne Haskins a mobile quarterback. Dwayne Haskins was not mobile, but every single scout was like, that dude's a mobile quarterback. I'm like, no, that dude is a pocket passer, and he's a mediocre one at that. And what we've seen, guess what? He's a mediocre pocket passer in the NFL. He threw think,
0: 50 touchdowns by throwing swing routes to Paris Campbell and, and Terry McLaurin swing yeah. routes with fantastic yards out there catch and short shallows. Like he was the ultimate product of the system with an NFL team around him. And I think
1: unfortunately, Justin Fields is, is being categorized the same way and it's not fair for Justin Fields talent. And that's why he's falling down boards. Is everybody's like kind of like, Oh, well he's not as fast or he's not as, as good running the ball or he's not this. I'm like, he's a game manager. And if you want to win in the NFL, you need a game manager.
0: You and I were are always critical of Justin Fields, partially because that's just how we, we're just always critical of all the quarterbacks. Really, that's just how we I'm are. I'm more
1: critical of the talented ones.
0: Really, that's what it is. Pretty much, yeah. And I look at him and I'm like, you know what? If you can get him at six, like let's say someone trades up against him at six, I'm gonna hypothetically use the Colts again just because we've talked about him a lot in their quarterback situation. That's not bad at all. I mean, you put him with that offensive line, and those players, they're going to the playoffs with Justin Fields at quarterback. I don't know if you want him going to the I don't know if you're the Jaguars and you want Justin Fields necessarily, because I think Urban Meyer is about to run that thing into the ground. It does not look good. They can't even keep a strength and conditioning coach for more than a month.
1: Yeah, so, we'll leave that one alone, or, though.
0: Yeah, that's a whole other set of issues. But I think Justin Fields, depending on where he goes, he can be an elite quarterback. Not Patrick Mahomes, not going to put that bull spit out there, but a legit four or five speed level quarterback with a gun of an arm and is willing to check it down. With the right coaching, he can be an absolute stud. If, if the Saints had any sort of capital or money or anything to barter with, that's a guy they should be going to look at too. Give him Mike Thomas. Oh boy. Sean Payton too. And quit bringing in Taysom Hill. That could be fun. Alvin Kamara. My Lord. Yeah. Like that's another team that should be looking at quarterback options too. Like they should go after Carson Wentz, for example.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. But I will say this we, we are running out of time on that one. So, real quick, quick fire. We're going to change over to NBA real fast.
0: Well, we gotta be quick on this one. Here
1: well, we, we go. gotta be very quick, very briefly. Tell me the player that you think is leading the MVP chase and one stat to back it up.
0: You want me to go first, or you want you go first
1: on this one? All right, first one up for me, Jokic. Period. Uh, leading, you know what he's doing from a triple double standpoint, uh, and averaging pretty close to a triple double already this season is absolutely double fantastic. Double-double Sorry, double double, yeah. As a center, is just absolutely fantastic. So that's why I have him there, DJ.
0: That's a good pick. And I'm not gonna argue with it, but I'm gonna go a different route and I'm say, Dame Dollar Dame Lillard fifth in the w- fifth in the West without CJ McCollum and missing Nurkic a lot. Just had 43 16 on 50 percent shooting and hit the game in a earlier this week and hit the game winning shot against the Mavericks. While Luca, the guy that everyone's pre everyone's pre- preseason favorite, was unable to hit the shot. Dame Lillard fifth in the West, the man, yeah. the myth, my preseason pick.
1: I like it. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd stick with him. He is a he's a stud. Uh, But real quick, guys, Sunday, 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 2.30 p.m. Eastern, well, Central Time, we will be on ColorCast Live, giving you play-by-play of the Celtics versus Pelicans game. Be sure to tune in. We'll tweet out the links for you guys. And as always, thank you for tuning in, guys. We will see you next time.